0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Live, Ride, Learn podcast, where we are learning and growing together through stories. And it has been a minute. I realize I missed a month or two of episodes there, Um, but things have just been crazy quick update in my life. I still have Danny. Danny is, if you're new to the show, Danny is my summer project horse, a four-year-old off-the-track thoroughbred. And so... Summer is well over. We're very into fall, almost winter, but it's okay because I am having so much fun. He's been such a blessing to work with. Um, Silas, my other horse who is 17 years old, has been living close to home. He has a resurgence of EPM and literally at least twice a week, I think, oh no, do I need to put him down? But this week for the last two days, he's been good. We've actually gone on two mile walks together. And I, I think he's doing better. I don't know. That's like a whole other thing. Lots of prayer. I'm learning a lot about faith and just moving forward. So anyway, very exciting news. Are y'all ready for this? What did I want to do is I'm actually winding down edits on my memoir, Finding Gideon. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you have heard me talk about it. You know, I released a book, Stories from the Barn Isle, which is kind of like the things that didn't, some of the stories that didn't make it into the memoir. And it was a practice book. And then from there I did journals, but all that stuff happened. This podcast exists because of the memoir. And so I thought, you know what? going in a winter, I have just been a little overwhelmed. It's a bit hard to find people to interview. I just don't have the energy, frankly, to like schedule with people. And I am working on a launch date. I'm afraid to tell you what it is. So maybe next episode, I'll give you a launch date. But I thought, what if I start reading the memoir for the podcast? So Until further notice, we might have some episodes where I actually have people come on to interview. Sometimes I have people reach out to me. But until further notice, I am going to be reading Finding Gideon chapter by chapter. Are you ready? (laughs) I I don't know if I'm ready. I'm scared. So um, I'm also really excited, y'all. I just think the story is really coming together. Preface. the story this is unedited i mean it's been edited like a hundred times by me but it has not been to an editor yet things might get cut wording might change there will definitely be changes okay so this is the unedited version chapter one of finding gideon but first just a quick reminder that today's episode of Live, Ride, Learn is brought to you by Stream Horse TV. Stream Horse TV is the premier international digital community where horse enthusiasts come together to expand their horizons in equine sports and culture. Stream Horse TV is elevating equestrian entertainment, increasing accessibility, and boldly uniting the global horse world. Celebrating the horse as our beloved common thread. Follow the herd over to Stream Horse TV for their groundbreaking free video series, articles and the Stream Horse TV guide. Subscribe to Streamhorse TV for free at www.streamhorse.tv and follow them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube at Streamhorse TV. So I will put the links in the descriptions of the podcast if you need the links, but it's really pretty easy. streamhorse.tv online or if you're on any social media it's just at. Stream Horse TV. So, are we ready? We're going to dive in to chapter one of Finding Gideon. A little warning, we start in hot. Okay? Oh, Also, crazy to think because I've edited it, edited it. I can't even say that. So many times you'd think that like it would just be, I don't know words but I still get emotional y'all this I know it's been like years since this happened like we're going on 15 years maybe but I still get emotional so if I ever get an emotional while I'm reading that's it okay I'm scrolling back I have it in my phone I'm trying to scroll back to page one <gasps> okay red was gone he disappeared teleporting into another realm There was no longer a horse underneath me, and for half a breath I soared in the air, weightless. The brown dirt, Kentucky bluegrass, and morning sky blurred together like a toddler's watercolor painting as I soared. Gravity snatched me from the air, hurtling me onto the soft racetrack, and life moved in fractions of a second with gaping darkness between sheer brilliant clarity the first blackout must have been the time it took to squeeze my eyes closed as I was thrown onto the ground because the thought after where is red was how am I on the track the thought fluttered away in the chaos like an erratic butterfly as my head turned just enough to see what was coming red tumbled towards me in a somersault and the thousand pound horse was about to roll over me This could be it, as in the it, where my family lays roses on a casket decades before they should have to, and I meet Jesus in person. If this isn't it, I certainly might never walk again. I squeeze my eyes shut for a breath. Oh God, a prayer, not a curse, everything black. My eyes opened with red on the other side of me and the realization, I survived. (laughs) That wasn't so bad, skimmed across my brain as my vision focused on a hoof, surging towards my face. This could be bad. A blink, darkness, a quick suck of air as the hoof of a panicking and flailing red connected with my face, snapping my head back, blank space. I heard nothing. It should have sounded like the solid hit of an ax on firewood. I felt no pain. I should have felt the agony like the flat side of a hammer smashing my face. When my eyes opened and refocused, the light of early morning streamed in. Motion had stopped. Somehow I was cradled against Red's belly like a foal against her mom and I longed to press against him for the comfort we both needed. Unfortunately, a panicked horse is the most dangerous kind and after the tumble we had just taken, Red would likely be scrambling to get back on his feet. I crawled away from the warmth of his belly on hands and knees before he could start flailing and damage me even more with those lethal hooves. Red, A gigantic two-year-old racehorse and my second mount of the day lay midway between the inside and outside rails of the dirt training track. The trainer had told me to gallop him two times around, but we didn't even make it to our first turn. Standing, spitting out pieces of teeth and blood, I turned towards the other side of the three-quarter mile oval where the trainer's box stood like a sentinel. It was a raised, covered platform where the racehorse trainers could watch their horses progress during morning gallops. Craig is there and Robert surely they saw like a kid standing at my mommy's feet, reaching up, begging for attention for so many things. They don't know how to express my eyes lifted to the stand help two weeks. Craig had hired me two weeks ago to work for him and his thoroughbred training and racing operation promising to teach me to exercise the racehorses. It was my dream come true. Robert, a friend from home, had come to the training track today to watch me ride. Did he see me fall? Am I the only person out here? I leaned over, bracing my hands against my knees and spit a stream of blood along with a few more hard pieces of what must be teeth. What should I do? The world began to spin. Where are the other horses and riders who are normally on the track? Is red okay? Am I okay? God, am I okay? Okay. The sound of hoofbeats approaching pulled my attention back down the track. I turned my head to see another rider galloping towards us, and air filled my lungs a little easier. I'm not alone. How is he even getting his horse stopped so quickly? It's not like these things have good brakes. Eyes half-lidded, I watched the blood dribble from my face and land on the soft dirt, a pinkish color, thanks to the saliva mixed in. The other rider flung himself off his mount, and I recognized him, one of the few people here who had introduced himself to me. He was timid. Was his name Brian or Brian? I stood to talk and the world began, became more blurred watercolors. I knew this feeling. It was like the time in sixth grade, a horse lunged across his stall door, mouth gaping open like an alligator ready to attack. His teeth clamped down on my wrist before I could pull away. The pain sending my world into a vortex of shock and pain. I remember thinking, Why am I dizzy? Just before I woke up amidst moldy pieces of grain, mouse excrement, and spiders. My riding teacher, Miss Brenda, leaning over me in the feed room with a rare look of concern. I braced my hands on my knees again. If I pass out, will I choke on my own blood? Will I die? I turned to Red to see him still lying down, but with his head up and alert. Ryan or was it Brian? Started towards me, reins to a skinny walleye chestnut in his hand, eyes flitting from red to me in indecision. I like him, I thought. He cares as much about the horse as me, as any good horseman should. Go to the horse, I mumbled, stumbling towards a soft-looking patch of dirt. Are you sure? He questioned, eyebrows nearly touching his hairline on his leathery and crinkled skin, a common reward for his career choice with horses. Yeah, I gotta lay down before I pass out. I stretched out on my back, the lumpy safety vest hugging my torso and my helmet cradling my head like a pillow, turning my head as far to the left as possible. I hoped if blackness overtook me, the blood would pour out of my mouth and not down into my lungs. Oh God, help. It looks like the horse's foot is stuck in the martingale, Ryan Bryant called out to me. I imagine the martingale... The piece of leather that stretched from between the horse's legs to his reins and my stomach clenched with guilt. It must have been too long. All these racehorses wore martingales much longer than Miss Brenda had taught. But when I asked the groom about it, he said it was good. Okay, can you... I paused to breathe and spit. And by the time I was ready to finish the statement, Red was on his feet. The horse looked shaken. I wanted to rub his forehead under his forelock, just like I did for my own horse Gideon when he was upset. I wanted to tell Red it would be okay. They lingered. One man, two confused young horses. How long did it really take to get from the trainer stand to the far side of the track? Here comes Craig, he said. I didn't turn my head to look. From the lift of Ryan Brian's chin, and it it was clear I still had a few minutes to wait. In the stillness of the moment, a thought popped into my head. What if mom and dad make me go home? I squeezed my eyes closed as reality began to sink in. I don't want to go home. God, I just got here. I just got here. Please don't let my parents make me come home and and take care of red. God, help me. I don't want to go home. Home. Where I had once laid on the floor of my parents' kitchen, kind of like I'm laying on the track now. Funny how I could hold it together during a moment of physical trauma, but eight years before, I had crumbled, snot and tears smothering my face over simple words. Dinner that night had been a long-awaited moment. For my entire 12 years of life, I had dreamed of having a horse of my own. I was a horse-obsessed girl. Every Christmas list to Santa or birthday list to parents contained a horse. When I saw a shooting star 1111 on the clock or I squeezed my eyes shut to blow out candles, the wish was the same. A horse. Every day I pleaded with God to make this dream come true while sitting in a suburban Mississippi middle class home. My dad, a CPA, my mom, a teacher, neither of them knew or cared anything about horses. We had neighbors every quarter acre who might have a pool, but certainly no backyards, backyard barns, or fenced pastures. On Saturday mornings, I woke before my older brothers, grabbed my blue windbreaker, and escaped to our tree seat. A tree house would have been great, but we only had towering pines and two little cedar trees right behind our house with paper shred bark and sticky sap. My brother Joel did the best with what we had and nailed a piece of plywood into one of the cedars. He created a ladder by nailing wood scraps to the trunk and then attached an old Easter basket to a rope so we could pass things up to each other. I read until the hot Mississippi sun evaporated the morning dew and my stomach demanded breakfast. The adventures on paper became my reality as I escaped a charging bull on a trail ride with my best friends, adopted a foal on Chincoteague Island at Pony Pinning Day, galloped down the final stretch of Churchill Downs to win the Kentucky Derby, and valiantly saved the beloved lesson ponies from a treacherous flaming barn. My heart was heavy with longing, and I begged God to make it real for me. Dad successfully postponed that horse problem for several years, assuming it was a phase I would outgrow. I'll let you get a horse when you're 12, he declared, somewhere around my ninth birthday, when the whole family was worn out from my obsession. I catapulted from the bed on my 12th birthday, pulled the slats of the blinds apart for a clear view of the driveway. There was no horse tied to the mailbox. Throughout the school day, I stared at the door, waiting for my mom to pull me out of class and deliver me to my new lesson barn where a horse with a big red bow waited. School ended, and I rode the bus home as usual. I sat on the couch and restlessly watched cartoons, waiting and realizing my school teacher mom would obviously have never pulled me out of class. She would deliver me to the barn as soon as she got home from work, I assured myself. But when she got home, she raced around doing laundry, cleaning the kitchen, and all the normal things moms do. It was a day of waiting, expecting. At dinner, we sat around the table of the restaurant I chose, a perk of being the birthday girl, and my parents excitedly handed me a card. There had been many failed opportunities for them to surprise me with the horse, but I held on to a twinge of hope as I slid my hand underneath the seal of the envelope, tearing the flap open. Maybe the note would say, surprise, you're the proud owner of your very own horse. Before I could even read it, a hundred dollar bill slipped from the folded cardstock and fluttered to the table. I pasted on the biggest smile I could, though it seemed the whole world could see it didn't reach my eyes. The waitress was clearing the dirty dishes when I worked up the courage to say something. I really appreciate the money. But uh I thought you said when I turned twelve I could get a horse. And I'm even taking lessons. Mom gave Dad a sideways glance. I interpreted it as, You really screwed up when you made that promise. He paused, looking at her to be saved. She looked back at him, her lips tightly sealed. After a gaping silence where my heart tried to work its way out of my chest, he responded, Well, Sarah. I'll tell you what, when you get all A's on your report card, we'll get you a horse. The cloud of disappointment lifted a tad with a slight upturn of the corners of my mouth. Deal, I smiled. A few months later, we sat at the kitchen table for dinner. It was a rare evening where Nathan wasn't at football practice and Joel wasn't at work. The entire family was present. I proudly stretched my arm across the table to hand my dad an orange envelope containing my newest report card. This was it, the moment I had waited my entire life for. The envelope was sealed and I wasn't sure what it contained, but I had worked with extra diligence this semester. And for the last few weeks, every time mom picked me up for my riding lesson, Miss Brenda would walk over to the car and tell mom all about this horse named Misty, who was perfect for me. Mom would nod to Miss Brenda, neither confirming or denying Misty was in my future. But I knew if my report card was perfect, she had to be. Dad bent each side of the brass envelope clasp forward, lifted the flap, and slid a folded piece of paper out. He read each grade aloud, a report card routine that usually produced glares from my brothers. I was the annoying goody two-shoes baby sister, but tonight there was a somber silence around the table. He made it to the bottom of the list, and I gulped a relieved breath. I had earned all A's with glowing comments from my teachers. Tilting in my seat to hear dad's next words, I, re- I watched him lean forward, dropping his eyes to the table for a second. He must be preparing to speak. He must be readjusting because this is the moment when he finally says, let's get you a horse. He slowly reached into his back pocket and fished out his money clip, flicking a hundred dollar bill to the table in front of me. And congratulating me for a job well done. I mumbled a thank you as I studied the wood grain of the table, tore the corner off the napkin, and processed this. My family dispersed, leaving me alone in the kitchen, glued to the chair in a trance. God, I'm sorry I'm being so selfish, I prayed, willing the tears to stay in my eyes. Horse girls were tough, horse girls didn't cry. How many kids would be upset over a $100 bill for good grades? But it was supposed to be a horse, God. It was supposed to be a horse. He promised me a horse. My generally calm, collected, find-a-way, make-a-way self crumpled from the kitchen chair onto the fake wood floor to cry over my dad's fake promise and my fake hope for a dream I apparently wouldn't reach anytime soon. I stretched across the floor. Hair falling around my face and resting my head on my forearms as my body lurched with dramatically loud hiccups. This was surely the final refusal. I had done everything I knew to do, and there was still no horse. It was the tears of a relentlessly positive girl who had lost her hope, like a volcano who sat happily dormant for a lifetime until it was forced to erupt. For a moment, I wasn't worried about my big brothers making fun of me, my determination to be a horse, tough horse girl who didn't cry, or my lifelong goal of trying to impress my parents to get a horse. There would be no horse. I was just erupting. Nathan strolled in, twitching his head to flick his perfectly highlighted hair out of his eyes. He glared at me, wallowing in my puddle of sorrow and with exasperation demanded an explanation for my hysterics. I set my jaw and narrowed my eyes at my brother from the floor, trying to decipher why he was asking, weighing his intentions. I couldn't find any malice, so I hiccuped my way through my tale of broken promises and heartache. Crying won't fix it, he stated, with the same glare he had before. What? I whimpered. What is he talking about? Why won't he just leave me alone? Crying won't fix anything. You've got to get up and do something about it. Go back into mom and dad's room and talk to them about it. Underneath the harsh tone, there was a slight inflection to his voice, and I wondered if possibly my mean older brother really did care. Oh, okay. I pushed out while trying to decide if there was any truth to his wisdom. Hadn't I done everything there was to do already? In the pause, we stared into each other's matching blue eyes, and I realized he had a solid point. I laid on the floor stewing until he stepped over my prone body and walked out of the house, slamming the door like an exclamation point. He didn't need to actually witness me heed his advice. I slowly stood up, threw up a prayer, and made my way down the hall to my parents' bedroom with swollen eyes and an occasional shoulder lurch from a sharp inhale. I tapped my knuckles against their white door. Come in, mom said. My parents gave each other knowing looks. I tried to survey the jury who would decide my fate. Dad looked simultaneously irritated and nervous while mom took it all in with her trademark resting scary teacher face, which gave nothing away. My chest lifted as I gathered myself enough to talk. I came to talk about my report card. I said, okay, mom responded with a nod to go ahead. Shaking on the inhale, I spilled. Dad said, and Miss Brenda, and all A's and $100 bill, and I really appreciate it, but it's not a horse. I have money saved up. With the money from tonight, I can give you $600, and that means you just need $400, and board is only $225 a month. So you have $600? With the money from tonight, yes, I declared with slightly more confidence. Chin jutted. Okay. Go get your money while your dad and I talk about it. Okay. I sounded breathy as I raced from the room with hope pounding in my chest. I clenched years of birthday and report card money in my sweaty hand as I strode back into their bedroom. The muscles of my mouth twitched in a delicate grin, unsure if this was really happening. Within minutes, Mom picked up the phone by her bed and punched in Miss Brenda's number. Hey, Brenda, this is Janet, she said. Tell us about this horse, Misty, you think would be perfect for Sarah. After a brief conversation, she hung up the phone. Dad looked overly serious, probably panicking over the money pit he just walked into. The corner of mom's mouth tilted into the barest hint of a grin as I counted my cash into her hand. I try not to laugh or twirl or do anything less than a mature horse owner would do. Because the next day when we got to the barn, mom was handing over the money and we were signing a bill of sale to purchase my very first horse, Misty. And that's chapter one of finding Gideon. What's going to happen? Laying on the track, bleeding out of the mouth. Am I going to pass up? Am I going to pass out? Am I going to die and not finish the story? (laughs) Who knows? Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the live, ride, learn podcast, which is also concurrently this week's episode of finding Gideon chapter one. Um, if you loved it, make sure you click subscribe. So you don't miss any future episodes and, um, be sure to stay tuned. I will probably be announcing a Kickstarter at During the new year, because producing a book is super expensive and I want to do a really great job of it. I want to bring you all something that's fully edited with a beautiful cover that is, you know, as good or better as the things you find when you walk into Barnes and Noble. So there will be a Kickstarter coming and then a release date soon after that. So thanks so much for being a part of this journey. Guys, don't forget to have grace for yourself and grace for others.
1: So daring Mr. Fly bought on a star. Who are you? Are so daring calling late night into the dark? Me and you fall so very, so very mystical, buried on top of the barn.